another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Dean Abraham, and once again, I bring you new conversations on who works in a punk who may or may not still be involved in punk, but have their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, big guest, huge guest, Chris Caraba of the band Dashboard Confessional of Further Seems Forever, of Vacant Andes, of, of more. We're getting into all of it, but that's in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can send an email to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, turnedoutapunk, uh, no, facebook.com slash turnedoutapunk. I'll get it right one day. Both of those are run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Tristan, of course, uh, make sure that I get the guests on the show. Make sure that messages get to me, and I, I love you forever, that little brother. He also does the Turned Out of Punk Instagram, which is at Turned Out of Punk on Instagram. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at various forms of social media, at left for damien If you'd like to support the show, the best way of doing that is by telling all your friends about the good times that we have on the show. We also do have a Patreon, though, Turned Out of Punk uh, no, once again, I'll get it right one day. Patreon.com slash turned out of punk. On there, you will find bonus podcasts such as turned out of punk footnotes. You will also find uh, merch opportunities to get turned out of punk swag and all sorts of things. So please, please hit me up over there on the Patreon if you would be so kind. And speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. Vans came on board this show a few years ago and said, Hey, Damien, we like what you do. We just don't want you to use any of your own money to do it anymore. So we're going to help you pay for it now. So Vans, I appreciate that. And it's they're actually like friends. Like, it's very bizarre to say this. There's stuff that I, you know, like you can't really talk about publicly. But they've had my back in a way that, oh, I, I really do. Uh, thank them very much for that. Like, I, I know real, uh, one day I'll tell the whole story, but uh, thank you, Vance. Thank you for being there for me on this, and this show. Uh, and uh, th- I think that's it. I think that's all I got to talk about this week. Oh, uh, no, that's it. That's it. On to today's show. Today on the show, my man, Chris Caraba of the band Dashboard Confessional and Further Seems Forever and... And, uh, you know, like just, uh, vacant Andes and twin forks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I met him years ago, briefly, briefly in Toronto and then getting a chance to reconnect with him on the phone. I was taken aback by how cool this dude was. Like, oh, we had a great conversation and, you know, I really feel like I've got a new buddy. I got a new buddy, but you got to do something. That's check out the brand new Dashboard Confessional career, great, career spanning greatest hits album coming out next Friday. It's got, you know, massive songs, massive. We talk about it in this podcast, like these songs really did cause seismic shifts within, you know, broadly termed punk rock, but specifically also emo scenes and indie rock scenes. And even if you weren't influenced by it, people were reacting to it. Which is something we get into on the show. We talk all about that. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a fantastic conversation. Like, you know, people think about Dashboard Confessional as this artist that existed almost like in a in a vacuum sometimes, or at least when people talk to him, talk to me about him, or it's like someone who almost ex- existed in a vacuum. But I, I really think this conversation places Dashboard in like a much larger kind of kind of like punk rock scene, this Florida punk rock scene that. We get we talk about it a little bit here, but it gave birth to everything from um, Newfound Glory and and Yellow Card and all that world to Shy Halud to, to Diplo, 
Yeah, that's right. Diplo came out of the same scene. So anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Check out the brand new Dashboard Confessional Greatest Hits album. And check out this interview with uh, a really awesome person. My new bud. My new bud. Here it is. Chris Caraba on Turned Out a Punk. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Damien. I'm happy to happy to be here. Thank you. Well, as I was just telling you off air, we met years and years ago at a, a very pivotal show, I think, in the history of Toronto music. And I'm sure we're going to get to that before the end of the interview. But I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is, Chris, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, yeah, I was, I had just moved to, to Florida and, uh, I met a neighbor who listened to music that was just like incredible. I I didn't know anything about punk rock, but he was, um, encyclopedic in, in his knowledge of, of, of this stuff. And we just like would devour these records between skateboarding and like, I think this, you know, before we could drive probably, or maybe just, you know, he could drive. So we were like driving in his car and he'd play me records and he'd tell me like, not just, like right from the get-go, it was like, all right, this is uh, Operation Ivy, and uh, this is why they're important, and this is the scene they came from, and this is what what's important about that scene. So it was like not just getting like uh, an exposure just to the music, but like the ethos mm-hmm. hand hand in hand with that. And so, like what you mentioned, moving from Connecticut, what were you into music-wise prior to moving to Florida? Well, I think you know. At that age, I was well. First of all, Connecticut was a tough place at the time to like tap into counterculture stuff. Okay, it's kind of a straight net, straight and arrow kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I was kind of like put off a little bit by the fact that everybody listened to this same exact music that their parents listened to. Mm-hmm. Like every everybody was super into, into the Grateful Dead, which was like something their parents or maybe grandparents listened to. <laughs> yeah. And and I I don't. I don't like or dislike the Grateful Dead, but it just, it occurred to me that like, shouldn't we be looking for our own path here? Yeah. It's not yours. Yeah. So I, I, so first thing that I got into that was like counterculture was metal and hip hop. Okay. And where were you discovering music like that? Like MTV or radio or? Uh, my stepbrother, oh. um, as well as, uh, I guess we didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. So I don't think. I think it was MTV, although if I was at a neighbor's house or something like that, which we would go to a neighbor's house just to watch MTV, yeah. um, I, I would get I would get psyched on, on that stuff. And then um, I remember we, we kind of like we found out about 120 minutes and I uh, I got quickly into what I guess would be looking back on it, like just college rock is I think that 120 minutes, those that don't know, was like a specialty show that aired once once a week, I think, um, really late at night and it, and it aired nothing else that was playing on, on, um, on MTV and nothing that was going to be played on the radio unless you lived in a college town and had access to that, which I didn't. And so I was like, what's this? What's, what's, uh, sepul- what's, uh, Sepultura? What's, what's, um, the Pixies? What, like, I, I would like, you know, scribble notes down and like go to the, go to the record store and, I couldn't really afford to list to, to, to buy CDs or anything like that, but um, they let you listen there. And so, that, so then there was the, this probably true. This continued to be true. continues to be true. 
of like picking a, a, a clerk at a record store's brain mm-hmm. um, for, well, if I like this, you know, what should I, what else should I listen to? But yeah, I found, I guess there it, it, it was mostly, it was mostly hip hop stuff and, and, um, and metal stuff. And then, and then once I found 100, 120 minutes, that's when I started getting into, I, I named the Pixies once and it's worth naming again, because that was a, an astounding thing to me. And also, led me to learning about uh, bands that I would love forever as much like Husker Du and Sugar and mm-hmm. um, um, uh, Archers of Loaf um, who are coming back. I'm really excited <laughs> about them reuniting. I'm really, really excited about that. And then hugely for me, Dinosaur Jr. And a lot of these bands, I think, kind of fit into the post-punk, post-hardcore thing. So I was kind of skipping over punk and, and pop punk for a minute and then going backwards when I was exposed to it later. Well, it's also funny because all these artists that you're mentioning, especially with Dinosaur Jr. And, um, well, definitely, especially with Dinosaur Jr., uh, all come from punk rock. You know, it's almost like that you're tapping into that same energy that you discover more directly a couple years later, but, you know, it's you, you could almost feel it in that music. I mean, I, I still feel it uh, now. I feel it like when I listen to those, like the records that, Jay Maskus makes now. Yeah. I like, they're just, they're just as, they're just, they, they feel like punk rock is supposed to feel and felt to me the first time I heard punk rock, you know, one of the earliest, I didn't go way back to like the sex pistols. And although I did like the buzzcocks and stuff like that, but I think I got in on that era where like, for me, the big one was probably, or the big three were Green Day, and they weren't Green Day as we know it now. Yeah, of course. Although, although if you had a time machine, you go, well, that's clearly the same band that's going to be playing soccer stadiums, <laughs> um, even though they were 15 or however old they were. Um, it's Green Day, face-to-face. Green Day, face-to-face, uh, maybe four. Green Day, face-to-face, Operation Ivy, and Descendants. So I think I, I gravitated to the m- melodic area of punk which i guess really is what would become pop punk a lot of that vacant andy stuff though i hear i hear a lot of jawbreaker and crimp shrine is that just like sort of an unconscious thing or were you into those bands too <laughs> no, it was very conscious was it yeah I, 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 it sounds almost like that that kind of same sort of like and i love crimp shrine deeply 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 and so and jawbreaker as well like that sort of like you know, like it's, it's, it's different than what face to face was trying to do. Like these bands were kind of going on, I don't know. I don't want to say artier, but like for lack of a better term, I guess they were going something a little bit artier. So I guess for me, I, 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 like, I don't know that I was like scholarly enough to discern between what made them artier or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. they, they, the fact that I had, as I kind of had described that I came to pop punk kind of inside out, like I came from the post punk and post hardcore into the pop punk. So when I started writing my music, I guess it was that, uh, the, the punk rock ethos, like what I already said was, was, was ingrained in me, mm-hmm. but, uh, that, 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 I guess that those bands, they got their hooks in me really early jawbreaker and Jawbox uh, specifically, um, really informed, what I thought, uh, what I thought was like the, the, the way to like evoke 
the most f- primal feeling out of a song. Mm-hmm. The way that they wrote. Did you have a chance to go to any concerts when you were up in Connecticut, or did, would that start when you got down to Florida? Um, very sparsely, and nothing like you know local shows and some things like that. But they're just the scene had. I lived there in that gap between mm-hmm. like the youth of today era, yep, and and um and and bands that were kind of and hate breed, yeah, um, um, and I would have. If I'd stayed there, I, I I lived close enough to Boston and Worcester that I'm sure that that would have been my my playground. Yeah, of course. Uh, um, I would actually felt I feel kinship to that scene mm-hmm. um, because I it was the the one everybody talked about, but we couldn't get there. <laughs> like I couldn't get there. I mean, the the fact was that like you know, it just we didn't. I didn't have a I didn't have a car. I didn't know anybody with a car. Um, and we didn't live, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So we just, you know, that just wasn't available to me. But when I moved to Florida, now there wasn't the same kind of thing where there were bands all the time playing for, you know, out of, you know, bands that you, you listened to and that were out there that you could read about in Maximum Rock and Roll and stuff. Those bands weren't necessarily coming frequently because um, we lived way down in South Florida. So, uh, you know, if you're, on a, on the, you know, pop punk tour and in, 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 as a fledgling band, or uh, this is before pop punk exploded mm-hmm. into the mainstream, really, um, you know, you're in a van and it's just a hell of a lot of gas money and not a lot of stops in between. So bands didn't really come down to Florida, but the, but the, but the scene was incredibly strong. And so we would take these massive road trips we go north to to north in Florida to Gainesville, which was this thriving scene and where mm. out of town bands did come from, but where bands like Less Than Jake played all the time. They were from there, started there. Um, and Hot Water Music, which I saw once and and was instantly and forever in love with with that band. Um, and uh, but then back home down in, in South Florida. In the area I lived, which is like Pompano Beach, which is like between Fort Lauderdale and and West Palm Beach, okay. um, uh, to give some context, um, that that scene stretched uh, geographically pretty hard. It was like from all the way from like West Palm down to like very South Miami, and the and the and co- this predates me, but oh, well, excuse me, this predates like my age group. Uh, the kids, the kids older than us were doing this and then the kids, and then we picked it up, but the, 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 we made our own, we made our own scene and, 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 uh, and had shows and put on shows and the shows were like incredibly well attended, um, because it was, we were de- devouring this music and desirous of, of seeing it live, but yet yeah, no one would come. So we started our own bands and, um, and, it, and, and there was an importance in that thing too where like it wasn't just like hey we're going to be a band now like you had to be that good like we had this high high bar of like quality control yeah (laughs) like you you had to have the right ethos it wasn't a rigid scene it was super accepting but the one thing that i think was like if there were expectations it was like hey man if you're going to be in a band like this is not like a, a foolhardy adventure for fun this is like it should be fun 
but like you you better be in this to 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 move this scene forward in any way you can if you're going to be a part of it yeah it's funny because like it's almost become legendary that you hear it about seattle like oh seattle grunge developed because no one came to seattle but seattle's not really off the beaten track that much whereas florida you know is as of someone who's you know played in bands that toured it's it's something that's a trek to get to so yeah because of that I guess when the scene finally does explode, it's, there's just like so many unbelievable bands. There's obviously the stuff you're doing. There's newfound glory. There's against me. There's, there's like, uh, Asuk. There's, there's just so much stuff that was just there's, ready. There was so much. I mean, like, you know, you, I would go, this would be like a, a show I would go to frequently. I would be able to see, uh, shy Hulud and morning again, or as friends rust mm-hmm. or, uh, um, Newfound Glory, Yellow Card. Um, these bands were like, they were just our, our, you know, they were just the bands that happened to live there. And then they would, and Poison the Well. I mean, there's, I, I'm, now that, you know, I could run this list could be their, our whole conversation, just bands I know that I grew up with that like everybody knows now. And, um, and it's, I really believe it was because there were people, like I mentioned, Morning Again, uh, like John Wiley was was in Morning Again, and, and um, Damien Morel was in Morning Again um, in the beginning, and he was later in Esther and Rust. They were in a band called Culture before. They were kind of the elders. They weren't they weren't actually older. They just started sooner, and they kind of set the tone. Like this is for real. This is for real, guys. Like we, this scene is important. This music is important, and and it, we all together owe it uh, a, a lot of work. And um, man, the shows I saw were just incredible. People like we could put on a festival right now with those bands and it would just be huge. Yeah, no, exactly. Like it's, it's, it's amazing. And I guess it's like you're saying, it's because no one's going to come in and save you. You have to like, you, you had to invent your own seat. Like it's a truly a DIY place where you're, you know, you're not waiting for a fat records or an epitaph to come in and scoop you up. It's like people are making their own labels and, and, and starting their own things. And it's, yeah, it's, it, I love, I love the Florida scene and it goes all the way right back to like the first wave of bands coming out of Florida, like even like the sewer zombies and all that kind of stuff. Like it's such a fascinating state for, for music. Oh yeah. It had its, it had its, um, kind of like sixties pop explosion down there. And then it had, it had a huge, huge death metal, um, oh, absolutely. scene 100%, that, um, yeah. is, it, it's also legendary for, which I think largely was on the west coast of south florida which is still not that far from us and so that was a big deal um but pop punk you know that when when we all kind of discovered this thing it, it um the thing was that there were tons of hardcore bands but as those of us that were like became enamored with pop punk and started infusing melody into more melody into the songs we noticed um that some more bands would from out of like I'll, I'll I mentioned face to face before, but suddenly they came a couple times, and I remember talking to Trevor uh, from face to face. Now, Fred, all these years later, he he's he's a, a, a great friend of mine, but um, I just talked to him outside of the show uh, mm-hmm. that he played. I didn't know, of course, I didn't know him as just a kid, um, and. I was like, How, you know, why, why'd you come, come here? <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, cause it's like words. He basically said like words getting out, like it may be, it's worth, it's worth the drive because, and I, I think I took a bit of, I think we all took some pride in 
that because we, I think collectively, not just the people playing, but the people promoting shows, the John Wiley starting a record label, Amy Fleischer starting Fiddler Records, uh, um, and a few more. Uh, and of course, there was no idea up mm-hmm. further in North Florida and eventually fueled by ramen in Gainesville. Um, we, we felt we had, you know, I guess we had made, you know, we made uh, a, a name for ourselves as like a destination, a waypoint. Like, like, like if you get there, you being like some already popular or semi-popular pop punk band, like it's worth it because not only like, will there be, will people be there, but the, they'll be going apeshit. <laughs> Yeah. And I guess like the fest is the ultimate sort of living tribute to that, you know, like the fact that the, the number one sort of destination punk festival every year is, is still in Gainesville. Yeah. It's no secret that they were, uh, it's geographically perfect. And because all the South Florida kids will get up there and people from out of state will get up there and it's beautiful. But I think in large part, like, uh, there, the, you know, when it started, it was called Gainesville fest. And um, I actually don't know if that's exactly this, if it's exactly the same people who do it. Was it, was it No le- Idea Fest before it was Gainesville Fest or that, Gainesville Fest, then No Idea Fest and then the fest? I, I, it was my impression. And for, forgive me, this is, uh, you know, poor memory at work here. But I, I just thought No Idea put Gainesville Fest on. OK. I, I don't know. I don't remember it being called No Idea Fest, but I'm, that's memory playing tricks on me. I'm not sure. Well, I, um, I smoke a lot of cannabis, so my memory is probably way worse. So don't go with my version of events. And also, I'm way out of state. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, like the, the bands on No Idea, they were like um, actively pulling the South Florida scene northward. Mm-hmm. So Les and Jake, they were they played a lot in South Florida. And Hot, Hot Water Music, they played a lot in South Florida. And they, w- they would pull bands up. With, they would they would pull the local bands, those bands maybe like mine for one further seems forever like Hot Water kept putting us on shows. Actually, they kept putting actually they started with Bacon Andes. They started putting Bacon Andes on shows, um, and and then saying like now come back with us to Gainesville and play up there. And so we started building our our way. And they kind of basically taught us. They did. Uh, uh, for my bands, but for many, many bands, um, they taught us basically, you got to tour. Like you got to get out of this. You've created something great in this place. Now, now go take it someplace else, but don't, but don't lose your hold on that place. Cause it's got a hold on you. Mm-hmm. With the vacant Andes. How did that band come together? I, I, by the way, that band is super underrated as a pop punk band. I like, I think that is really worthy of a whole complete discography reissue box set thing, numero group style. But that's just well, my opinion. I, I appreciate that. Unfortunately, we don't have a, a hell of a lot that we recorded. The, the the songs that we consider the best songs we ever had, we've talked a little bit about. Just this is for ourselves. These are still my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, just recording because they they never did get recorded. Um, so we have songs that we would love to see out there in the world. But thank you, um, and I know they would appreciate hearing that that you had said that. But um, how did the Vacant Andes come to be? Well, the Vacant Andes predated me and John Owens, the other singer guitarist, by like a decade or more. Really? So we were the yeah we were like the younger brothers of the two guys 
that started the, I mean, we were friends with the younger brother and sister of the two guys that started the band. So they were a bit older, only a bit older, but like old enough that that seemed a lot at that age, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course. So, and the, uh, the Bone Break brothers, um, Dan and Daryl Bone Break had started the band and they had, uh, they had several lineups, you know, um, and their last lineup was like this really terrific lineup. And it was, it was becoming a thing. And we were at their shows all the time. It was different than the vacant Andes you've heard. Um, it was kind of like a prog rock band. Is that, is that that have no fear tape in the days or number tapes? Or is that after that even? Well, so first they start out as like this descendants band. Okay. And that's, that's like kind of days are numbered. Okay. And then, um, I forget the name of the record they did as the last lineup. Oh, darn it. Was it Smirk or or was it Smirk? Smirk. It was Smirk. Yeah. Smirk was the, was the, and it was like, um, prog rock, not, not in the sense of rush, but more like shudder to think. Yeah, totally. Like still rooted in post-punk. Yeah. And they had this guitar player who was just like one of those guys. It's like, how can one person actually do that? Mm-hmm. So when they uh, when this guy kind of quit rather ab- abruptly, um, John and I were in a band called Hubble um, that was like a pretty tried and true pop punk band in the vein of like Weston. Oh, awesome. Um, Did you record with Hubble? Nope. Okay. Um the amount of the number of bands I was in that I didn't record and outnumbered <laughs> them number. And I've been in a lot of bands that I've made records with, but a lot more that I didn't. Um, but actually that's probably my favorite band that I never re- was that I was ever in that never recorded for sure. For sure. Um, anyway, Hub- we Hubble borrowed their rehearsal space. And so we got to know them, not just as their little brother's friends, but as like musicians in our own right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that this 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 guitar player quit, and then um, Dan decided that he'd really like me to be the guitar player. Daryl decided he'd really like John to be the guitar player. John and I had only ever been in we like we were stuck together like glue. We were always going to be in the same band no matter what. Yeah. So we could call each other immediately. Like, well, this one asked me. This one asked me. Like, how do we how do we both get in this band? <laughs> and so we were. We weren't wrong. We just went to him and like, hey, guys, I mean, Tom is a one of a kind guy. It's going to take two guy, two people to play his parts. And um, and anyway, that's how that's how we ended up in the band. And and that's how I ended up a singer, because I think maybe I sang, you know, I sang harmonies in Hubble and I sang I, I had another band with. Uh, I think I had a band that with, with Matt Fox from Shyalude where. He pushed me a little bit to sing, but but really I was just – I'd never sung uh, a terrible stage for I just wanted to play guitar. But but Dan Bonebreak really pushed me. There was a singer in the Bacon Andes, Charlie, and he was great. Um, um, but, but Dan saw something in the way – I would write songs and teach them to Charlie. And in a very like kind of like quiet, meek way, I would kind of like sing them to him to show him the melody, you know? Yeah. Dan was like this. At one point, Dan was like, "All right." He like, you know, I remember him like pulling me aside, and like, and like, <laughs> the, let me set the setting for you too. It's like, you know, I live at home. I'm in high school. Yeah. I, like I'm at like these guys who are like in college, <laughs> at their college house, which is just like a flop house for 
for alcoholics, I guess, budding alcoholics, not to, to not to make a, not to, that's, that's a little insensitive, but that's kind of what it felt like. It was just yeah. like, like we were, uh, it was a, it was definitely a place to go and get drunk. Yeah. And, um, college kids being college kids. Exactly. But we were high school kids. But so we were like, <laughs> so, so we were out of our element and, you know, I get the, and Dan was kind of the most mature, most like long view guy. And he, and he just, I remember like he summoned me back to his bedroom to speak. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> uh, this is fun. I, I liked being in this band. Oh, well, and he was just like, this is ridiculous, man. You're like, like you, you, you got to sing. And so he would, he would work, he worked with me like for, for months mm-hmm. till I was confident enough to, to add my own couple songs to the, and, you know, in my fashion, I was like, well, I'll do it if John does it too. You know? <laughs> and so, so John and I started singing and, and eventually it, the parting with Charlie was unfortunate. You know, I, I, if, if I had something to do over again, I, I would, I would do that. I would, I decided I was going to, I was going to leave the band because now he, Dan had made me so confident in my singing. Not that like I was the best singer, but that like I, I could like get my vision all the way across without having somebody else sing. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I guess it's time for me to, you know, like go do my different thing then. Thanks for getting me here. And he was like, well, I think maybe we should have Charlie leave and you and John be the singers. And I've, we didn't need to do that. Like we just didn't, we didn't need to do that at all. And we, but we did do it. And it's a big regret of mine. But yeah, so that was the lineage of how I, went from like just a guitar player to just actually singing in front of people. What a great year for like, you know, knowing that you had it in you, you know, like, to, like it could have gone the other way. It could have encouraged you. And then you got up there and have been like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't have encouraged him to do this. But like, he knew that you, you had it right. Like you had that thing. Oh, I'm indebted to Dan forever. Um, and you know, Dan is known as the, you know, he also as the, the first bass player dashboard mm-hmm. and he continues to be like, you know, uh, I'm I'm so lucky, you know, all of my ex-bandmates, uh, you know, for the majority of the people, they were friends first and remain friends, you know, since either me leaving their bands or them leaving my band, because we just had creative moments together, but our friendship supersedes that all. But my debt of gratitude to Dan in that regard is huge. So when you, the first stuff you play on, is it the Spork tape, I guess? The Spork EP? Yeah. That's yeah. uh, that record is awesome. That's on YouTube. That's the only way I've heard it because that is a, a hard cassette to track down now, I imagine. But uh my gosh, those songs are really there. But it's it's amazing the growth in just like a year, because the stuff on that doesn't really sound like any of the stuff you're doing on that anodyne seven inch. Right. So the stuff on that was like my first stab at songwriting and I think maybe or singing, you mm-hmm. know. Um uh, did I sing on that? I think you sing a song on that, if I'm not mistaken. I don't actually even have a copy of that. Once again, that's a thank goodness for YouTube discovery. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was a growth. We were growing fast. I mean, that's 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 the thing about being, being part of that scene. Everybody was pushing each other to, tr- to, to try something new. Yeah. Oh, you're this, like, great, like, pop punk band. Now do something different. I mean, like, one great example would be Chad. Gilbert, you know, like he's this ferocious hardcore singer with the best stage presence I probably 
I would put him up there with the best I've ever seen. And one of the best vocals <laughs> for a hardcore band ever. Like his vocal is is just unreal. And he's so young at that point, too. Dude, he's 15. It's crazy. And he it's sounds like, like a demon. It, it's ferocious. It's yeah. ferocious. And and so he was like, and somebody said, you know, like, but you're such a good guitar player and, and, and such a good songwriter. And you're not using it there. And and so he did. And he started Newfound Glory. And he didn't leave Shia Lu to do it at all. Like mm-hmm. he didn't have to leave one band to start another. Um, and we also had this great uh, experience of learning together because everybody played in everybody else's bands. So uh, like I played in Newfound Glory at one point because Shia Lu was on tour and that meant no guitarist. Um, the, you know, we everybody filled in for everybody else and, Everybody helped a new band that was starting like, oh, this guy doesn't have a bass player yet, but he's got this great band. I'm going to play bass for until he finds one or or there was a point where I was in. Uh, I was in the vac- at one point, one time I was in uh, a band called Red Letter Day, which would become. Which would splinter off and become as friends, Rust and Rocking Horse Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at this one point I was in a band called The Agency, Rocking Horse Winter. Further Seems Forever, Vacant Andes, and Dashboard at the same time. <laughs> and that, and by no means was I like out of the norm for how people did stuff back home. Yeah. And it's, it's wild too. Cause like all the bands you mentioned are like, you know, they're obviously some are in the same sort of sonic realm, but every band's different. Well, I think that was the one, one thing that uh, is worth mentioning about that scene too, is that I would discover later the genre, the lines that divide genres are a little more bold, a little more boldly drawn. Yeah. Um, in uh, most other places, mm-hmm. but because there was, it was like, we were the few trying to create something. There was no room for, you know, disallowing somebody to be at your, so you could have like a ska band and, uh, an emo band and a pop punk band and a hardcore band at one show and nobody would blink an eye and no one would enjoy one less than the other just because they weren't of the genre that was their favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask if further, uh, further seems forever was like kind of a super group when you came together, but it just seems like that was more just like how it was like everyone just played in everyone's band. Everyone just played in everyone's band. Just think of it as a super group is just like, well, I mean, in the terms of a, relative no, terms, no, obviously. No, in relative, no, I understand that, but I've kind of like heard that before. But it was like that kind of. I can see why people would think that only now. Yeah, yeah. But you know, like looking, you know, like looking back at the time, it was like the the strong arm guys. They were, they they were very big in the in the hardcore scene. They were probably one of the first bands that was big, like outside of Florida, mm-hmm. that uh, as well as inside of Florida. Um, and I think they were just, they were kind of, I, I think they were, they were fatigued from the hardcore thing. I think they had, they had real, okay. So people don't know strong arm and this is mostly about pop punk. So we're to end we're ending up. No, no, no. It's honestly, but, we're hardcore pop punk, whatever you want to go. Honestly, anything broadly termed punk that's in my periphery. Right. So then this, this falls into suit because they started out as like, like punk it was it's almost like the thr- the thrice transition mm-hmm. where they were like almost like a thrash band to begin with okay yeah strong you remember that those first records they're 
the first Thrive records are almost like fat records. They're really great. They're really, really great. But then they mature and they change and they challenge themselves and they, they say, it's okay to bring in these. Like, I mean, like we got two of the best guitar players in this scene. That stands to reason still. And uh, why are we playing awesome riffs all the time? Yeah. And, and you know, slowly but surely they become thrice. The thrice we know. Um, with Strong Arm, I think they had started out as this like kind of uh, – I don't want to say obvious or by the numbers, you know, like the, 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 the hardcore of the moment. And then what they decided to do was just like take their, their very unique abilities and push them. And, um, and they, they, they really pushed the envelope so hard from one record to the next. And in doing so, they absolutely, I guarantee you, because I know this for a fact, I've spoken to each of these bands about this, but like Shahilud would not be a band if it was, wasn't for strong arm creating this sound under oath has told me that um, circus survive has told me that that was a big deal more further, I think than, than strong arm, but still the, you know, what those guys had. Mm-hmm. And so, so, um, but they, they, I think they felt they'd reached their capacity for the moment or, or maybe in totality, I guess. And they just were like, let's, <laughs> so the uh, the idea. Oops, did I lose you? No, no, I'm still here. Okay. Um, the idea with with further was this is like ridiculous to me. Like when I think about it now, to see because I know we both we both know how further ends up. Yeah. But the idea was like, what if we did like just like a straight ahead band that's like the like the Pixies and Weezer meets Foo Fighters. <laughs> Yep. Totally straight time signatures, you know, songs that have proper arrangements. And like, instead we went down the the absolute (laughs) other path of total math rock instead. Um, But yeah, that was just, they, they want, they were ready to just explore something different. And um, I think Chris was Chris, the singer, I think he was, I think he was tired. I think he needed a break anyway. So, so they asked, they asked me if I remember the show, it was, uh, Bacon Andy's was on tour with this band Inquisition, which would become strike anywhere. And, um, well, wow, that's strong a strong Holy jeez. It was a tour. It was a cool tour. And then, um, and strong arm played this same show. And afterwards we were talking outside but these are, these are great buddies of mine and the funniest guys to this day that I know. And, you know, became dear friends. So dear that like every time, like we move to a new city, we like all move to the same <laughs> new city or state. Like, yeah. I, I live in Tennessee now and my, and the further guys still live five minutes away from me. <laughs> so it's, we, 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 Oh, and that's another thing. Like the way rumor mills work. I remember like sitting at Josh's house uh, you know, like this is as dashboard's pretty successful and, and further is pretty successful. And maybe Jason, yeah, yeah is how to start a fire era. And like um, Jason, I think was there. And we we're like flipping through a magazine that said like that we hate each other. And I was like, <laughs> you, you guys think we should, are they right? Should, do we, should we, is this what hate looks like? <laughs> like, no, nah, if it is, then it's pretty good. Um, so anyway, you know, they just asked, they, they, they originally too. Uh, Matt from Shahalud was in for 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 I think one practice, 
uh, of, of further seems forever. But yeah, I guess it looks like a super group of, Flor of Floridians on paper, but really it was just like yet another band, all, a bunch of people were going to start together for fun, and which so, happened all the time. And did, did Vacant Andes carry on? Were you doing both for a time or was it one? I was doing both for a time, but the um, Vacant Andes started to slowly kind of, slowly kind of break apart. Okay. Um, it's the, it's the one band that I like every band I've been in that, that, that I've, that I've left or that has left me behind or whatever. It's been pretty clean. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, you know, like with the agency, they were like, Hey, you're in too many bands. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I get it. I get it. And, uh, and like when I was in, um, Oh, well, geez, none come to mind, but you know, when, it, you know, if there were other words yeah. that if I asked somebody, if I, you know, it was just kind of a clean, like it was finished. There was a, like when I left further, for example, it was like, okay, I, I left and, and that was it. You know, like we would come to play together again. That was never going to, a doubt. But when I left, it was, there was finality there, you know, mm -hmm. um, with, with the Andes though, we didn't really know, we weren't like mature enough and we had really a different bond than any other bands I've ever had. We just couldn't figure out how to disband, like just say, hey, like this has run its course for now and we should walk away. We couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So everybody started other bands. At this point, we all live together and we're all practicing in the same house. So like every night's taken up by somebody's other band and then you realize like, we don't practice anymore. And like, and the bands they started were great. Um, they were so good. One of my favorite bands that ever came out of Florida um, is a band called Anchorman, and um, which predates the movie. Um, and they they were they were just in that that first Anchorman record, the second one too, but the first one's particularly just like knocked me out. And I was convinced it was going to be like a vehicle for like. Uh, lifelong success that kind of didn't pan out that way for whatever reason but when i saw them start anchorman and it was like two of the guys john and daryl the drummer mm -hmm. um i was like oh yeah yeah okay so this is they i want to be in that band <laughs> <laughs> as much as i want vacant andy's to to exist they're so good i just like i'm dying to be in that band and i was like well i can't i can't just i can't do that they've got their thing and so i felt good moving on to further at that point I was going to ask you actually, because there's, there are so many bands that came out and sort of achieved that, you know, legendary status or, or begat like whole other genres in their wake. Um, what, what are some of the artists that you think didn't get that kind of attention other than Anchorman or that deserve that kind of attention in Florida? Oh, um, that's a really good question. Um, well, working backwards, like from now, mm -hmm. I'd say like bands that are under noticed, there's a band called kids in, uh, in Florida that I, I just think is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And I don't know if it's a matter of time or attention. I don't know what it's going to take, but I, I believe that's an under, under appreciated band for sure. Um, there's a singer songwriter named Corey Boast and another one named Ryan Alexander that both are incredible. Ryan's band civilian, um, they're on tooth and nail. Um, so you can check them out. They're easier to find pretty, pretty incredible bands. Okay. Um, but from, from that earlier era, there was, uh, there was, um, floor, which of course oh, I guess. I love floor. Oh yeah. My. So, so good. I remember so just, sick. 
and I loved Torch. I, yeah. I mean, I loved, I, I, frankly, I love Torch even more as, as, as is the best case for a band that becomes another band. Um, well, did you know this? Did you know there's a pre Iron and Wine Torch project that they did? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like the dude from Iron and Wine was on the podcast and he's like, I'm like, do you play any bands before Iron and Wine? He's like, not really. Like, I did some things with the guys from Torch when I moved to Florida for a while. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we didn't really record. We just opened shows for different bands. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm speechless. I can't I got, believe it. I was speechless at the time too. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> anyway, but, yeah, I didn't cut you off, but, but I thought you were oh, going to Torch was just—they were just amazing. They were—they were groundbreaking. There's a band called Machete, um, that was truly like kind of in that kind of in that vein mm-hmm. uh, of Torch and uh, of Floor, excuse me, and um, Juan Montoya, who was was the guitar player for several records. Uh, her torch was in a band uh, called uh, Ed Matusa's Struggle. Oh, you stumped me just, there. Yeah, well, I mean, like it was like it's a it's a there's a lot of pre-torch that you can yeah. hear in that um, stuff, and it was like that's how things how loose things were. Like there was like we just had a friend who promoted shows named Ed Matus. So the guy doesn't, he names his band Ed Matusa Struggle. Ed Matusa isn't in the band. <laughs> it's just like haphazard stuff, you know? Um, I think that um, as friends, Rust's first first record. Um, Is that the one with a bag head guy on it? Like a, a guy wearing a bag on his head? Like a drawing, an illustration of a someone with a bag on his head? No, as friends, Rust, I think they're on the cover. I think it's the original lineup. Okay. The cover, I think. Okay. I think. But it was... It was all the guys from Red Letter Day plus Damien, mm-hmm. and um, and man, they were good. Um, and I could this list could be really long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was um, um, well, it's kind of a tribute to how many great bands there were. That like even with all the bands that are known from there, that there's just like this whole, you know. And I guess a lot of this, a lot of scenes are like this. But I guess once again, because it's so much off the beaten track, you don't really hear a lot about a lot of these bands. Um, especially the older ones. It's true. You know, uh, there's just like, there's a, there's like a tribute record waiting to happen there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Are, I think that was the first Florida compilation. Are we incredibly late for the trend? So you could call it like incredibly, incredibly, incredibly late for the trend and do all tribute to all Florida punk bands. <laughs> yes. That's a good one. <laughs> it's really good. Did that, and then we had the, um, you know, we had the the other thing that isn't if they're not bands, but the, the labels. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about teenagers like Amy starting a, a record label, and like, I mean, like the bands she like, you know, like we everybody knows the bands that she yeah. signed. You know, like they didn't know men, but like uh, the Andes, and then uh, she helped further get off the ground, even though she didn't sign us i mean we weren't on her label but she certainly helped us get off the ground and um newfound glory was their first record was on for the records and is the, the bled. bled's first one yeah the bled and recover and i mean quite a lot of bands juliet lewis um, too and juliet yeah that was much later but yeah Jul- like... juliet lewis um and then john wiry with eulogy just <laughs> like like really fostering oh another oh 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 where fear and weapons meet that's a oh, that band's just incredible! Absolutely incredible. Like we got, I can't. I knew there was one. That I was like, how am I missing one? This is the one. <laughs> oh my one. god! 
totally ferocious and, and, you know, politically charged and ethos and just put on a show that you just like, will never forget. Yeah. It was, and was it toy box records from Florida? I actually don't know. Okay. Sorry. No, I, I, they were like some victory subsidiary that put out integrity records. And I think they might've done one of the first hot water music records, but I'll fix this in the intro, this part <laughs> of it. Um, what, when, when you guys were signed to Fiddler, like, did you kind of have a sense that like things are starting to boil up? Like people are starting to take notice. Like you said, face to face earlier on notice, but like, did you feel like the mainstream was beginning to take awareness of what's, what was going on by that point? Well, I don't think that I knew that there was like a, people paying it to any people paying attention to South Florida with the exception of like, you know, Marilyn Manson and the spooky kids. Well, they would be uh, Marilyn Manson. They, they start as the spooky kids, but Marilyn Manson, you know, coming out of there like a rocket, you know, mm-hmm. um, other than that, I, I don't, there really wasn't this big, I didn't notice a boom happening because I was, because I was then part of the boom, I yeah. guess. Yeah, of course. So it wasn't like I I could see it happening around me. I was like out traveling the country. This was an unglam like not a glamorous way to break, but we certainly did break. And and our and our friends that got the guts to go out there and, and tour their asses off also started to get breaks. Um, and then in coming home, you know everybody was pretty excited. Hey, things are working pretty well. Like, things are going pretty well. And then you go out. Then you go out like a few tours later, and they'd be like, "Yo, you're from Florida? That's awesome." Like that scene is incredible. You started hearing that, which is like all we ever really hoped for when we were, you know, going up Kinko's and making flyers and putting them on car windows all over the place, you know, in the old days of uh, analog promotion. Well, it's almost like it wasn't even just like, I don't know, maybe because all the bands were so different sound wise. Like it wasn't even just like the scene got big. It's like all these bands got almost big on their own. And then you dig a little and you're like, oh, they're all from the same place and they played together in some cases. Yeah, I think that was a thing, too, for me that like helped my career so much. Um, only I didn't think anything of it was that, uh, you know, when I one of the one of the big um, earmarks of my success, I think, you know, looking back you know, as I am, because it's, it's time for me to look back a little <laughs> bit and appreciate that it's been a, a, a kind of a. A worthy effort so far. Oh, like an un um, like it's it's a unbelievable career that you're in the middle of right now. I'm very very excited to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, I went out there and like I was out there with the hardcore bands because mm-hmm. that was the network I had. I was out with pop punk and hardcore bands. What's this kid think he's doing with the acoustic guitar up there? Like. And, you know, many people assume, well, I guess he probably played coffee shops in the way of, I would, I've never played a coffee shop. <laughs> I wouldn't know that, that world, you know, I wouldn't, it's not a place anyway that they would have appreciated me screaming at them. Even yeah. though I just had an acoustic guitar, but I played with, so a lot was made of the fact that I was playing with these, that I was winning over these hardcore crowds and then I was, or that I, or I wasn't, but I had the guts to stand up there and try to win over these hardcore crowds either one or the other and that became part of like the lore but it was like not unusual for me at all because as i said like a ska band a hardcore band an emo kid uh suddenly a kid with just an acoustic guitar now um pop punk band post hardcore bands 
Um, and it, everything was together. It was just music. As long as it was like basically indie, as long as it was like we're doing this ourselves, we're going to like everybody extended a helping hand to one another. So, yeah, I think that that for me was like we, we I think there were several of us that came home. You know, we'd come home from tours and like kind of discuss like this is kind of this is kind of fucking crazy. <laughs> like, like, do you see how well newfound glory is doing did you hear that like shy lutes on Re- revelation now did you yo poison well is gonna get a record deal you know like and like record deals were not something we considered at all we didn't give a shit to be frank like we just wanted to play shows and that didn't necessarily seem like the, the conduit to getting shows so moreover we were just like looking for like the network to expand on how to book shows and where to play and and um and we keep we kept help we kept doing that you know we 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 kept touring with our weird eclectic bills or I would get a call from say H two O that said like yo I, I heard your record and I you know Toby like yeah I, you know I heard I heard this record Chad played me this record I, I fucking love it why don't you come on tour with us okay. You know, like, yeah. it's like without it occurring to me that maybe <laughs> other people would find that odd because I certainly didn't find that odd. Now, wait, I was like euphoric because I'm a huge H2O fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but besides that, I didn't find it like, oh, shit, I can't do that because no, there was none of that. Like, yeah, that's what you do. You just go you go play with bands you love and uh, and, and learn from them. And then and then and then this weird thing happened where we became where Florida and Jersey linked hands. And this is where things really started to happen for my personal scene, like mm-hmm. the scene that that would become, I, I don't know the right, right word, but at that period of my career, the most fostering thing, you know, where, 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 where it was, a scene was, a new scene was emerging beyond the South Florida thing. And that was because we were like, we were linking arms with Saves of the Day and 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 Midtown and and some New York bands like the Movie Life and so on and and going like well I can book I can book from Florida to Georgia for us maybe even South Carolina where can you get us shows and then they would have a a way to book some shows and and we kept on like that for a while and then and then it, and then we linked up with like the Get Up Kids scene and their network of the anniversary and stuff and. And we linked arms, you know, it was like mm-hmm. real personal. It wasn't like somebody got signed to a big agency and somebody else got signed to a big label. And now we're going to pull everybody else up, which we did do when that happened. Um, but it was just organic. And this all this post-punk, post-hardcore, at the time, sort of nameless genre. Because emo, to me, was a, a name that predated our bands. Um, so I didn't think that it applied to us, although I'd probably use the term now. Um, but at the time I thought at the, in the early stages, I thought, oh, that's not, you know, that's for Sensefield and, and Sunny Day and and, Fugazi um, and yeah. yeah. And bands are just like, like, like they would be almost like dishonoring them to use their their term. It was like, they finally had to surrender to it because not because the press was calling us that, but because the people they were coming to our shows refer to themselves as emo fans mm-hmm. and refer to us as one of their emo bands. So, you know, I, 
I, I don't take, a lot of people take umbrage over that term and I'm not one of them, although there was a period in my career where I felt like that scene that I was a part of had now belonged to the next group of people and I really didn't know them and didn't think they sounded like us and it was kind of theirs then. And for, for a brief period, I was like, well, I don't think that's what we are anymore, although I didn't have a better name for it. But I wasn't like railing against it, I don't think, ever. Well, it's also, it's, I think emo almost has become like obviously a mode of music and everything like that. But it's almost like it's consistently been groups of kids from hardcore and punk scenes that kind of got not fed up with the scene so much as even just like tired of the Sonics or trying to do something new. Like you look at Fugazi and you look at Revolution Summer and even Sensefield coming out of Reason to Believe and, you know, yourself coming out of like the South Florida scene and all the South Florida scene. Like it is, it's consistently like, it seems like it's a movement within punk where there's a group of people that want to try something new and whether by choice or by having it foisted upon them, it gets called emo. Yeah. And I, I know that there's people that are uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care no. myself. Like I'm really comfortable with that term. What did like you, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, we, we just, all, we all, so we just had this like term because our scene was so eclectic. We called it the scene. Okay. We yeah. called our. I think we referred to ourselves or each other as scenesters. Like if, like, you were going to say like the scenesters of all these things like start with no, with like a neutral connotation, and <laughs> totally. then become like, a, uh, you know, hipster. You know, that was yeah. neutral for a minute, yeah. and then it becomes a negative connotation and all that stuff. Anyway, so like I'm using another one that has a bad connotation, maybe, <laughs> to describe something that wasn't. It was just like, yeah, there, yeah, he. Scenester meant like they worked hard to make this fucking scene work. Yeah. Like they're part of the people doing the heavy lifting. So like I might say like John Owens, for example, mm-hmm. to me was like a preeminent scenester because he was just like he or John Wiley or Amy Fiddler. You know, these people were like they, they had this boundless and in, 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 intense um, reservoir of energy to just keep r- running into the same wall. Um, but yeah, so the emo thing for me, like I loved, you know, you mentioned reason to believe. And that's so like, that's like another one that I was like, oh, yeah, well that's, you know, they're calling me emo now, but that's like reason to believe mm-hmm. so much so that like later on, I, I have a song called reason to believe. Oh, that's named after the, and, that's named after the band. Yeah. It's named after the band. Oh, yeah. that's wild. Okay. Um, and because uh, I had that cassette and uh, and then when I met John with Sensefield, you know, playing first as a fan and then opening for them with uh, further and then later taking them on tour with Dashboard. And, and then, of course, later he took over as the last singer for further. Well, I guess I'm the last singer for further. Me and Jason are the <laughs> last singers for further because now we both sing for further. Yeah. On a, you know, whenever there's a further show, we keep trading off. Um by the way, Jason is like the one person in the world that like I'm I like am dying to be in a band with this guy because we are in a band together. We have just never <laughs> never actually played together except for like here, you come up for the half a song or one song and I'll come up for a song. But anyway. You guys have ever even done like a, a duet on a song at all? No, together? we've done like, like yeah, sure. Like okay. one song. Yeah, but not, not like being a band. in a band together. Yeah, I want to like travel the country with yeah. this guy. He's the best guy. He's the best guy. And I, I like I like I, I love it. I love every, I love this guy so much anyway. Um, and it's, you know, that was a hard 
fought friendship because, you know, this guy was in, in the inenviable position of having to step in and just kind of be somebody else for the first two years before he got a chance to assert himself. And when he finally did, boy, did he. It was just great. So, like, you know, I thought uh, just my respect for him is just incredible. Uh, I mean, my respect of him is because he's just he's just incredible. Anyway, but back to this, uh, all those terms, you know, yeah, of course. I think pop, there was a probably a period where pop punk bands don't like to be pop, called pop punk. And then there's a period where post hardcore, I'm sure post hardcore, I got a feeling queer. I don't know this, but I'm knowing Walter. I have a feeling like Walter was probably like, what the fuck is post hardcore? Yeah. I have, yeah. A, I don't know that for a fact, but I can only imagine, you know, like what, why would, what the fuck does that mean? Mind you, Walter's just like a guy who's just, he probably smoked the joint and was just like, ah, I'm post-hardcore, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're so right, you're so right, you're so right. Um, but yeah, we had, uh, so that was uh, just to circle back a little bit. So yeah, the Andy stuff that we never recorded was really very heavily, heavily influenced by what was, po- what was happening in post-hardcore. Really? So it's like, it, once again, it kind of went a, a step further from where that, uh, seven inch was. Yeah, it did. It did. It really was in the, I would say somewhere closer to quicksand with bits of, of, uh, Texas is the reason really informing our writing. It, it's so funny. Cause like in, in hardcore and in punk, you know, there's these certain records that just like change everything, you know, quicksand is a record. Like when that quicksand record came out, every, every band, even if they weren't influenced by it, were reacting to it and change like uh, Jamie Josta. I remember reading in an interview was like, I formed hate breed because I was sick and tired of people saying quicksand was hardcore. So I wanted to show them what hardcore was. And so like, you know, like in refuse, you know, shape of punk comes that record. I really feel like you're that artist too, where like, it's such a seismic shift. Like when you, when you, when everything finally explodes, it, it just changed everything in the wake. Well, I guess that happens, you know, yeah. Um, there's a watershed moment. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's, and it brings with it change of all kinds. It brings with it the change of people that are, are see what you see, what the thing is that they like, and they want to do that too. There's people that see it and want to take it further. And then there's people that do it and want to respond. They, that are, they, 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 their response is like, uh, well, negative isn't really, it's too strong. Yeah, maybe negative is the right word, I guess. It, 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 it invokes enough of a reactionary response that they go on to start something in response, yeah. as you said, with hate breed, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's, you know, that that's, that's beautiful to me. Oh, totally. That's Absolutely. beautiful to me, you know, like even a band like, I, I won't name any, but they're, there are, there are bands that I've that I've disliked enough that I've then been like okay what's the what's why why do I why do I hate this yeah. if I if I really do I don't think I, there's much music that I actually hate and I'm not just saying not to be political I just I'm not a, I have the benefit of not being a music critic mm-hmm. it's not my job to hate anything <laughs> yeah and I get to just say that like my my opinion and this is honest is like even if it even if I don't like it I like that it's out there. Yeah, of course. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be for me. But it, my world is a better place because a record that, even a record I don't like, gets to go get out there in the world. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, that being said, there's some shit I've hated. <laughs> and I've said, like, in the moment of hating it, been like, I'm going to do something fucking. I'm, this, this is not how it goes. It goes like this. And, like, that's, there's power in that. There's, there's great power in that. I think, like, just like there's power in, like, I was saying, you know, these kids that I had grown up with in my very early teens that were listening to the dead and like uh, Hendrix and all the bands that are great, but like they aren't, they are your, they are kind of your parents' bands mm-hmm. in some sense. Um, at that age, I mean, you know, at that age where you're supposed to be like put your stake in the ground. Um, my, 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 my road of discovery into punk rock was based on that reactionary uh, reaction uh, to that way that people were passively just like taking the music that was like handed, that, that was, uh, yeah, this is a record that's in my house. I'm going to listen to it. Oh, I like it. It's cool. Like that just seems so passive to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, I thought the music like, lives and dies on the fact that it's got to be reactionary and, and active. Yeah, no, I, th- I think like, and it's amazing because, you know, you're talking about how earlier, like you guys just wanted to be noticed as a scene and here you are later on disrupting everything, you know, like all these bands that came out and just, just changed, changed it, changed everything. Like I remember sitting in my apartment and I was watching, I think it was headline news, but it might've just been CNN and they cut away from the news and it, and you performed on, on CNN. Yeah, I remember that day. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen another musical performance on CNN since or before that. Yeah, I wasn't sure what I was doing there, but <laughs> I was. It was a. It was an incredible moment, you know. And it was one of those things where, like, you know, how I got in that room is because I like I'm pretty wonky, and I think I was just having a conversation about politics with somebody that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, booked, <laughs> booked, you know, guests on CNN and they were like, you'd have a good time being in this building. And that was all that was. It was like, man, you think talking about it with me is fun. Come in, I'll get you in there somehow or another. And you can talk to a bunch of these people and really, you know, like pick some brains and, and my like, you know, political nerdiness got, and you got fired up and I was like, sure. But I remember being really nervous because I don't remember anybody else ever playing on CNN. Cut to a singer. And it wasn't like, it's not like, the today show yeah. like during the regular news yeah like the middle of the afternoon too i think so, yeah it was it was yep but hey man i <laughs> my that 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 guy was right i did have a great time nerding out hard that day oh well that it was awesome i was here i was thinking like what kind of publicists would do this to their artists but it's even cooler that it just kind of happened yeah the, the the booker the talent booker for oh, talent booker that's not what they call it for news <laughs> Yeah, um, the, 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 the guest booker just was at my show the night before as a fan. And, and then I, and, and I just, you know, I stood at the merch table saying hello to everybody because, well, cause I was selling the merch, not because it was like this magnanimous thing, like come meet me, but like, yeah, yeah. I couldn't afford a merch person. So I sold the merch and, um, so got to talking with him and next morning or next, uh, you know, next morning I'm loading my guitar into CNN. <laughs> Well, Chris, I've kept you for an hour and this has been too much fun, but would you come back for a part two at some point in the future? Oh man, I'd love it. This, this has been, fan- you know, it's, it's incredible to, 
to talk with a, another real music fan of this scene that is as knowledgeable as you. So yes, I would love to. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. And I also like, yeah, it's just, it's so awesome to kind of, you know, see the guy on CNN and find out that, yeah, he's still just a hardcore kid like the rest of us. Amen. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. And you heard that there, you heard it. You heard it right there. We're buddies now. We're, Chris is going to be coming back all the time. We're going to be uh, recording more episodes down the line because uh, that's what we do here. We, we make me friends. You know, it's hard to make friends once you're above a certain age. So you kind of got to start a podcast so you can uh, uh, force musicians you're interested in talking to to become your friends. That's that's how you win this life game. I figured it out. I figured it out. Speaking of figuring it out, next week on the show, I figured out who you're going to get to hear. Next week on the show... A legend, a fucking legend, Linda Ramone will be on the show. Linda Ramone, uh, who a legendary uh, former partner of Johnny Ramone, before that Joey Ramone. We have the most inside Ramone story you could hope for next week. There are so many fantastic little gems dropped. And, and this is one of those rare opportunities where it's a chance for me to reunite with someone that I met as a young person. I had dinner with Linda Ramone and Johnny Ramone at the age of, I think I was like 17. We talk about it on the show next week. Sage Stallone showed up too. Rest in peace, Sage Stallone. Uh, Sylvester's son. Uh, we, we, we get into it all next week. It's a fun episode. If you like the Ramones, you got to listen to this one. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Anyway, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go ahead and sign your organ donor cards. Please, please do that. Um, it, it, you know, my uncle's still doing well, and 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 so please go out there and sign your organ donor cards, and you're not going to need them at that point, so help someone else. Uh, make your own culture, too. Before you get to that stage, make your own culture. Put put your mark out in the world and, and, and reach out there, and who knows – you know, how it's going to, how it's going to, uh, affect the world around you. So, and, uh, that's it and stay safe and I will see you next week. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening.